Hi, I'm Graham Dargy, and this is the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. Well, it's December, and what a year, we're racing towards the end. I don't know about you, but it's been really tricky for me to fit in much photography this year. Um, just with the lockdowns, and I've had a few trips cancelled. I think I've had five or six photography trips cancelled, um, which is not, you know, the biggest problem that people have faced this year, to be fair, but you know, for, for my own development and, you know, keeping things moving and just my own sanity, really. Getting out and about there is really important for me, but um, so it's been tricky. But these last few weeks, um, there's been a little bit of work flowing in. So um, the other day I was on a farm photographing a farmer who's retiring. So I got a chance to do some portrait work there in location and something I haven't done as much of lately. But uh, I loved it. I loved being in the location, in amongst the cows, photographing this great guy and um, got the, the flashes out and the softbox out and you're balancing the ambient light with the flash and you're trying to get the composition right. You're trying to get the, the right number of cows in the shot and uh, get the farmer, you know, just comfortable and uh, communicating and just getting everything just so. I loved it. So I was, it was great being out and about doing some portraits the other day. Also this week I had a great conversation with a photographer based in Mozambique called Gregory Escande. Great photographer, you can find him on Instagram and uh, we're going to have a show probably coming out in January or February with Gregory talking about his amazing street photography. How about you? What have you been up to this week? Have you been able to get much photography done? Uh, I'd love to connect with you and see what you've been up to. So you can find me online at Instagram, Facebook and on YouTube. If you do that, drop me a line and let me know you found me through the podcast. If you've been enjoying the show these last few weeks, then why not share it with your photography friends, subscribe, and if you want to, leave a kind five-star review. That really, really helps. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, I'm talking with Osborne Masharia, an advertising photographer from Nairobi, Kenya. Osborne is one of the most creative photographers in the world, and if you're not familiar with his work, you've got to check it out. You've never seen anything like it. Osborne's clients include Disney, Apple, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, VW, Mercedes-Benz, Kenya Airways, Guinness, Samsung, Forbes magazine, the Oprah Winfrey Network, and many, many more. But it's Osborne's personal work that's gained the attention of people around the world, And he's been exhibited in South Africa, Brazil, Singapore, Italy, Switzerland, Bahrain, Ethiopia, Mali, Nigeria, and Dubai. Osborne's style, which he calls Afrofuturism, blends elements from the past, present, and future to deal with topics like equality, representation, and care for the elderly. That work has gained the coverage of CNN, BBC, Vogue, Marie Claire, Adobe, BuzzFeed, and the Huffington Post. If that introduction got your interest, please go check out Osborne's work. I guarantee you've never seen anything like it. I spoke to Osborne back in 2018 for a podcast project I I didn't get off the ground at the time. And uh, I was really excited to revisit this conversation. Um, Sorry for the sound quality. I'll apologize for that right now, but please stick with it. And you're going to hear the fascinating story of a humble young photographer who's making waves around the world. Our conversation covers how Osborne comes up with his amazing ideas, changing perceptions of Africa, crafting his own path as an artist, as well as the stories behind some of his most creative projects. Please stay tuned and I'm sure you're going to take loads away from this week's episode. So here's my conversation with Osborne Masharia. 
My name is Osborne Masharia. I'm a commercial photographer and digital artist uh, based in Nairobi, Kenya. And I got into photography in 2010. And, um, it was just by, by chance because I was studying architecture at that time. And um, I failed the unit, so I had to stay out for uh, one academic year. And that's when I came across the work of uh, photographer Joey Lawrence, and 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 he just recently he just done a series in Ethiopia, and I'd never seen photography done that way. Uh, it, it was like a mix of documentary, and and studio portraiture style. It was just an in between, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with lighting, and I wanted just to know more about lighting. And that's now where my journey began. And I knew for sure when I finished school, I was not going to be an architect. I was going to venture to photography. And that's what I do till, till today. In Kenya, I mean, are there avenues for photography? Is it easy to make a living from photography there? When we started out, it was, it was, it was, never, it was never heard of. Like photography was not a career. And, and I remember that the things that uh, made me fight with my folks a lot. Like they, for them, a photographer was that guy taking photos at the park, you know, and making a few cents here and there. Uh, but they'd never seen it in a much bigger scope, like you know, shooting adverts uh, or, or showing your work in art galleries. They'd never seen it in that space. And for them to slowly let me go and let me do my thing, it took a while. And we sort of that started the whole new culture. Like even when I got in, and because I always wanted to shoot advertising work and commercial work, that was my heart. That was where my passion is, connecting with brands and doing crazy stuff for brands. And at that time, there were no Kenyans doing that. Uh, all the work was given to expatriates. Um, so I was like one of the first few people who actually Kenyans who shot within that space. And now to see the other doors opening for more Kenyans being, you know, hired to do that. I think that was a good thing to see that whole new culture. How did that door open for you to start with then, with the advertising? Are there agencies in Nairobi? Yeah, um, one of uh, the creative directors, the first creative director who hired me was a mutual friend on Facebook. And, you know, we used to chat. I went to see him once. He advised me on how to plug in into advertising. And I used to still do my own personal work until one day he got a brief uh, from Safaricom, um, which is the biggest provider, network provider. And he told me there's a new brief. Uh, no Kenyan has shot this before. I want us to do it together and make sure we do it well. And when we did it, like I remember, we put our heart and soul into it. And the results were, were amazing. Client loved it. Actually, client said, um, this is the standard. We are not going anything lower than this. Okay. And that now opened doors, other doors within the agency, which was scanned. And so other creative directors and other directors began hiring me within the same organization. And that's how it opened doors. And... Um, and this, this was back in 2013, and it's that same year that I actually got to do my first international gig, uh, which was for Guinness, um, all the way from London. And I think that now gave me something to live for. Like I was like, this is the path that I want to take. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was my, 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 my door to the international world mm -hmm. when it comes to photography.
the Safaricom job, I'm just looking to my screen on the side, is it the Nikona Safaricom Live 2013? Um, mm. Yes, that is it. It's that one yes. with the helicopter and the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you shoot that? I said I didn't want to really go technical, but did you shoot that on, <laughs> on top of the, um, the is it KC? No, no, no. Actually, we were supposed to do that, but the client didn't have enough budget, so we used stock images. So okay. we shot the characters in studio then okay. competent to so the space. you were going that way from the very beginning with the compositing? From with compositing. Yes. Actually... One of the reasons why I was hired, because even my personal projects were more compositing. Okay. So that's probably one of the reasons that I got the Safaricom job. I was just hesitating there because I was almost saying, were you on top of the KCC? <laughs> but I know it's the KICC, but I know that's a completely different thing, KCC. Yeah. So you were shooting the compositing stuff from the start. I was interested to know, getting camera gear in Kenya must be mm -hmm. quite expensive, right? Yes, it um, is. How, how did you get around that or you just you just worked hard and got the stuff um no 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 I've, I've actually never bought anything <laughs> in kenya um so initially to rely on friends who are coming into the country and i would send i would send friends you know get me a lens get me a camera but now the stuff began to get quite heavy now you need bigger lights you know and so the easiest place to get them was the uk and have them ship shipped over. It will take like two weeks, but I'd get my gear, okay. and that's how I've been doing it. Um, whenever I travel, if I can get um, a piece of equipment that's you know that's portable that I can come with, then I just come with it. So I was going to ask you about you know breakthrough moments, and it seems like that first job really broke it for you with Safaricom. And that did you feel very lucky to have that as your first kind of thing? Oh, definitely. Like the response we got was amazing and that was like my first commercial job that actually I, I, that went to print so I could see it on billboards it went into buses you know it's like your work just spread all across the city mm. I, I think that was just an amazing feeling um, for something that you put a lot into and to see it now you know come to life I think that was amazing for me it must have given you a lot of confidence definitely definitely yeah, that's good you met the guy who was a mutual friend um what was the work that you showed him that really opened the door for him? Um, I, th I think it must have been a couple of projects that I used to do. Um, my own personal projects, they were called Shuja Misuli, which is Muscle Warriors in Kiswahili. Okay. And I remember it was just my own. I began doing, I did like three portraits of different artists, I mean sportsmen. Then one day I got a gig from... Uh, um, a magazine that was coming into the country, it was called Kenya Yetu. It was by the same publishers of Msafiri, uh, the KQ Inflight magazine. Okay. And the first the first publication was about, was just before Kenya went to the Olympics. I think this was, must have been in 2013 or 2012. 12, I think. maybe. 12. And I, it also gave me access to like a number of other athletes. So within that series, I had a huge body of work, and all of them were compositing. Mm. And so I think that must have been one of the reasons why he gave me that job, because I had a whole project that done on my own that was quite solid. Um, it looked like commercial work, because if you take those photos and put a logo on it, you know, a brand on it, it will fly. It yeah. fly. But, and I think probably that was one of the reasons why he saw that. Um, just that initiative, uh, 
to do your own work and to craft your own style. I think mm-hmm. that is one of the things that give me a huge advantage. And it's and it's also the same philosophy that I teach whenever I'm asked by upcoming photographers. Um, how do you make it in this field? And I always preach you need to shoot your own personal work that defines your style. Mm. Um, very few people listen to me <laughs> when I say that, but it's it's the same message I'll keep on preaching. And mm. um, what got me to here, to where I am right now, and it's I think that's the same strategy that people um, should be able to use to get to where they are. Why why do you think people don't do that? Is it they're just lazy? Because I mean, every like anyone who's made it in photography. Will say that about personal work, and it's been my experience as well. Mm. And you need to make something happen before something will happen, right? I think, and you at least need to show people what you can do. Exactly. But do you think people are still they're reluctant to do that, or they don't know how to pull it together, or what do you think? It's probably a combination of both. Where people think uh, saying it is easier than get it done, than getting it done. It could be probably people don't know where to start. You know, I should do a personal project, but where do I start? Mm. Uh, should I focus on one area or just do general work? You know, so I think it's maybe it could be a fear. I think let, let me say it could be a fear. Where do I start? Um, and 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 that as well. And the element of people thinking it's easy <laughs> until now you have to get your hands dirty. That's when you realize this is actually not what I thought it is. Mm, yeah. So I for you, I think. Um, ideas are seem like a big thing. Like you have clear and quite dynamic ideas, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think you're scared to pursue them or to follow them through. Where do your ideas come from? Good question. I've been asked that so many times, and I'd say I'll always say it's the moments that I daydream, because I daydream a lot. The quite number of moments, especially when I'm flying. For some strange reason, that happens to be the best time that these ideas come to my mind. Uh, When you just see that in in a plane, you have 16, you know, 15, 14 hours left to fly and you have nothing to do. And that's when you go into this passive mode and you just daydream. Mm. Or when you're taking a long, you know, a long safari and you just daydream. That's when these ideas come to life. They usually come with a statement, so you just put it down either on paper or on my phone, and that now, and from there, it now goes to the next level where it becomes defining that story and crafting that story. And from the story now comes the visual part of it. So okay. it always starts as that process. The story has to make sense. The story has to be so powerful and so true, make it sound like it's so true, yet it's not true. Just play within the border of fiction and reality. And now from there comes the execution part. So uh, that's really, really good to hear. Um, so Mango, for example. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right, Mango? Yes. Yeah. How, <laughs> how, where, how? <laughs> so I've been having this idea of working with people of short stature, but I had no clue where to start. And actually, Mango <coughs> took us a year and a half before we were able to execute it. Um, from so the it idea, from, sorry, from the idea to the shoot? From to the shoot. Okay. Like, I had the, the, the idea, I had the notes, I had the whole story written down, but where do you start from there? Like, you have the story, but where can you get short people? Like, it sounds unrealistic. 
um, so we shelved it, uh, yeah. and so we shelved it. We're like, you know what? We'll come to this later on. And I remember now picking it up from the shelf again. And never people of short stature portrayed. It's always from a PT, you know, like PT, massive or uh, disabled point of view. But now we wanted to change that narrative and make them look like these superhuman beings. Mm. And so we, we told them the story and he loved it. And we had characters that we wanted to use and we, we were so specific on the kind of look that we wanted. And the chairman just directed us to the to the to the right because like okay. you need to talk to this person, you need to talk to this person, and so he he helped us bring everyone together, and so we briefed everyone. Everyone loved the idea, and we shot it. Um, then something happened. And the day we shot, I went home and by mistake I erased all the images from my hard drive. Oh, and I was in a big mess. I tried all the recovery softwares, nothing happened. Um, this was like on a Wednesday, and I asked guys, can we reshoot on a, on a Saturday? And the good thing is everyone was okay with it. Uh, one of our talents was based in Mombasa, and we had to get him back in. And he was arriving in Nairobi at 10 p.m. Saturday night, and we were shooting till 2 a.m. in the morning. But everyone was so cooperative, no one gave us an issue. The project just went really well until we launched it. Um, a day after we launched, it was picked up by CNN. We featured it, so it, it was quite a nice experience. Mm. So, I, Kenyan people, I think to me, they're so nice. They're like the warmest, nicest people, and I can just see everybody being really obliging about that. Mm. But the people who were in the shoot themselves, they felt empowered and they were excited about it. They felt empowered. Actually, one of them just contacted me the other day. Um, he's part of a football team that's made out of short people. <laughs> and he was asking me if we can come and do a story about him. Okay. I think they're preparing for the short people World Cup. Okay. Something like that. It was quite an interesting that we can we have that kind of relationship that after the project, <laughs> Two three years later, you can still, you know, sit down and talk about such such kind of stuff. So I think it was a it was a successful project. Issues like that in Kenya. I mean, are there opportunities for you know like minority groups that kind of thing in Kenya? Is it difficult for people like that to to you know get work and just have a regular kind of life? Like, it, can it be difficult? Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's that's some of the issues they were telling us. They go through. Um, during my initial meetings. And I think that's that was the whole idea behind the project where we could create a platform where people can talk about, you know, um, such stuff without automatically dismissing it, especially when it comes from that uh, point of view where it's about feeling pity. People usually just form a barrier immediately. But when you make it more entertaining and captivating, I think it creates that, you know, that path for the conversation to go on. Mm. You know. So um, I read somewhere, uh, it was maybe it was in the Huffington Post article, I think, where you'd said you'd like to change perceptions of Kenya and Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel that the current perceptions are and versus how you th- think you can change it? Um, I, I think the same, the, the perception we have has sort of been the same that we've always had for years, where Africa is a place full of poverty, disease, you know, um, conflicts, all these issues. And and I also have this conversation with other artists that 
for most people in order to get like grants to do a project, your project has to tackle issues such as HIV or water, and you know the same old cliche. Um, why can't we just do art because it's fun? You know, we want to create a fun project. Why doesn't why does it always have to talk about issues? And I think the more issues we talk about, the more we look like that we are in need and we're in problems. And yet, there's a whole culture happening where people just want to show themselves in the most beautiful way possible. And I think that's that's the new breed of artists that you're having. People who just want to express themselves in the most fantastic way possible. So that's the reason why I do what I do, in order to change that stereotype into something something that's more positive. Mm. Art is a form of uh, rebellion. Like, you know, like, especially when it comes to things like politics, we feel so helpless, especially young people. Like, you see the looting that's happening, you know, like you feel so helpless, there's nothing you can do. But the only way you can express that frustration is through your art, you know. Mm. And that's like an escape mechanism. It's through the art. So it's like art is a language of rebellion. That's that's your superpower. And I think that made a lot of sense when we did a campaign last year for Absolute Vodka, where they selected five revolutionaries within the continent. And I was fortunate enough to be one of, of the five. And and it was all about creativity is our superhero. Mm. And it's, it, well, it's, 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 that's the only power we have. And that campaign really resonated. Like it, it was so powerful that it made many people. It inspired quite a lot of people, which I think was quite cool to mm. see now brands beginning to engage artists in that kind of way. Right? It's not. It's away from the traditional. Let's shoot someone holding a bottle, smiling, and into more artistic, more, um, more current stuff. So, I think there's a whole conversation happening behind it, and I think. Being for brands to engage, especially with, with the millennials in the continent, I think they need to tap into that direction. Mm. Do you think that voice of younger people is starting to be heard now in Kenya? Oh, definitely. Uh, like the number of people who are doing projects, who are trying to, you know, find their identity, find their their craft, find their style. There's a whole generation of young creatives who are really trying to tap into that creative field. So it, it is a revolution that's happening and I'm happy to be part of it. It's really interesting to hear because say 10 years ago, um, I've, I would have spoken to my wife about how things are in Kenya and she would have said something like, you know, create, creative arts or being a, an artist or a musician or an actor, that there's not really avenues for it in Kenya, do you know? Um, but, but it's interesting to hear how things have changed just in that mm. short period. But I just wanted to quickly ask about your influences. I know you said Joe A.L. Um, mm-hmm. With the compositing stuff, is there, do you have any you know, other influences with the compositing? Compositing, I, I remember when I started out, I learned a lot from uh, Joel Grimes, who's also a photographer in the U.S. Um, nowadays, it keeps changing. Like The more I discover, the more I keep evolving, the more I discover people that my work resonates with. I feel like I really like their work. Um, one of them is Carlos Serrao. He's a sports photographer and commercial photographer in the U.S. Um, the guys like Marcus Eriksson, um, he's Swedish, sometimes based in Vancouver. Uh, the style, like just the treatment, the lighting, 
feel it. <laughs> so definitely my list keeps changing uh, depending on what points in my career I am. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you about a couple of projects that there's so many things you could talk about, but I've picked a couple um, to talk about. And I was wondering um, about the Queen Sugar project. Um, okay. It's a TV show, right? It's a TV show, yes. And it's the thing that catches my eye is that it's, um, it's linked to Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. Nice. I was wondering how that door opened for you. The, 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 there's a director, I don't know if you know her, know her. she's called Eva Duvani. Um, she's, she's an award-winning director and very, she's very influential uh, right now in Hollywood. And she's also a very close friend with uh, Oprah. And so, so she's the exec- one of the executive directors of Queen Sugar. And she's been following me on Instagram for a while. And so I think when the time came to shoot the artwork for season three, she reached out to me. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, so, so I flew over to New Orleans, did a shoot. And yeah, that is it. That was it. That sounds pretty cool. So they flew you over there. You must have had to hire a load of gear, hire a studio maybe. Oh yeah, that that was the good thing. They had a producer on set who did that and all of that. Um, like that was quite a huge budget shoot. Hmm. Uh, just even the way. The interesting part is that sort of respect and appreciation you get when you're outside your country, like. And like the treatment I got was like world class treatment. Okay. Uh, just being flown on business class, you know, being picked up from limos from the airport. That kind of treatment was I'd never felt it before. So it was such an amazing experience. No, that sounds really good. You should tell them that I'm available uh, for season <laughs> four if they want to. Um, so I guess was it was the whole shoot storyboarded, uh, or did you have to shape it yourself? No, no, it was really story boarded by an agency they use uh, called Ignition. I mean, everything was really detailed, so my work was just to come, shoot, and deliver. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. did you do the compositing, or you just did they have their uh, own artwork they, people? The agency did a bit of it, and then they sent me just for like the final approval process, because our timelines are quite short. And once everything was done, I did my own bit, just a small bit into it, then they... They released the final letter. Okay, it sounds like if you handed a storyboard, it, it makes it, it sounds like it makes it a bit easier. It makes it easier, definitely. Well, that's so you didn't get to meet Oprah. I didn't get to meet Oprah. Uh, and actually, when you were on set, people are saying it's lucky that she didn't come out. Otherwise, our schedule would have just gone crazy. Okay. Like everyone would have wanted to meet her. Things were just going bad. So <laughs> they're saying it's actually good she didn't come out for that shoot. Let me ask you about, is it Gikosh? Gikosh, yeah. So I was looking, the other one I was just going to quickly relate to this was from Fierce Magazine, which I think is quite old work. Yeah, yeah that's very, very old work. So from, 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 there, from there to Gikosh, it's quite a leap. Your style has moved on a lot, obviously. Um, but you can still feel that it was you that shot them both. Is it as much of a leap as it looks like, or... Have you learned a lot between then and well, now? Like, uh, as that time, I wasn't into the whole Afrofuturism and storytelling, you know, side. I was just about shooting good work, just making sure my images are well lit, looking good. Um, then, 
from there to transitioning into Geekosh, which is all about uh, fictional storytelling. Um, that was a huge leap. <laughs> mm. yeah. Yeah. So with Geekosh, is there, um, how did you bring that together? You must have had the idea, maybe you storyboarded it, sketched it out, but pulling all that stuff together must have been a, a bit of a, at least yeah. a logistical nightmare, if nothing else. That was the most intense project I've ever done so far. Uh, that actually took two years to put together. Right. And it started a conversation. Um, so these guys used to be called Sky Decor. Um, uh, they contacted me two years ago. And when he called me on phone, he's like, I was born. Uh, my name is Khan. Uh, we deal with Joakali stuff and we the project. And in my mind, I'm like, Jokali, uh, in your mind you can't see anything interesting with Jokali because you're thinking of those guys hitting those metallic plates. You know, I didn't see any sense, but I was like, okay, let me let me just meet him, hear what he has to say. And when he opened his portfolio, he showed me the furniture, and it was like we actually travel around the country, we buy planes and we convert them into furniture art. And I was like, you know what? I am interested in doing this. So they told me they wanted sort of to do a project that would push their brand further and make them known who they are. And so they created one of the costumes and it told me, so you want to create characters and the costumes you have, their costumes will be made out of airplane parts. Okay. And I was like, you know what? This sounds amazing. So I went to create the whole story behind Gikosh linked it to Gikomba, which is something that every Kenyan knows what it is, and created a storyboard, uh, we did the costumes, sketched, if I can say, sketched some of the costumes and they built them, uh, decided which characters are going to be in this world of Gikomba. And from there we shot it, launched it, and we thought, you know, it's, it's, it's done. And then a few weeks later we decided, you know what, let's do an event. Uh, before the furniture, because the furniture was leaving from Nairobi heading towards Switzerland. So did you know what, before it leaves, let's give it a good send-off, like this is from Kenya to the world. And so we did the event um, like two months, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And the event as well was was crazy. <laughs> um, like you, you can see the images and think we did a lot of work, the event was even crazier because mm. we we, we got space at Junction Mall. And so they had just opened this new courtyard, um, public courtyard out, outdoors. And so we brought in planes. Uh, and we actually had physical planes in that space. Wow. And like the DJ booth was a cockpit. So the DJ was playing music from a, an actual cockpit. <laughs> we brought the character. Life, so we brought those characters into the space, and people could be able to interact with them and get to shoot with them. You know, just bringing, getting something that's two D and bringing it into a three D space. Mm. Uh, the DJ we designed for him a custom, you know, uniform as a captain. Imagine, mm. like imagine what a captain's uniform would look like in that world. Mm. We had cabin crew, and we designed uniform for them. Imagine how it would look if it was in that world. Um, we had a plane where people could come and sign their names, you know. And by the time, the, it was a two-day, two-night event. And by the time the event was done, the whole plane, there was no space left for him to sign. Mm. 
we had a VR center where we built now this Gikosh world. How would it look like in 3D? And we created a whole world. And people, you know, can see the characters in that space. Hmm. So we just had a lot going on within that event. Um, I think um, over the, those two weekends, we had a whole 4,000 people plus get into that space, which is quite amazing. Hmm. And that's what we want to do with our experiences. We just don't want to make, if we are doing exhibitions for our, work, for our work, we just don't want it to be the traditional kind of exhibition. Um, someone said it, put it very well. It's like we are decolonizing the African art spaces. Hmm moving away from the white walls and into experiences. And one of the things that we are keen, or I am keen about, is not charging for all our experiences. We've had three and we haven't charged at all. We just want we want to create, to, to educate the next generation of creatives. Mm. You know, I think charging sometimes has been a barrier. Like I remember getting emails from people and telling me, husband, I just want to say thank you that you made it free. I'm a student in the university and I couldn't afford. If you were charging, I couldn't have afforded to come. And, you know, just creating a whole generation of people who are exposed to art. Mm-hmm. You can see this thing is possible. You can be able to create such kind of experiences. Um, and that's what we want to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even for the people who are coming, we just told them it's free, but the only thing you need to do is download a boarding pass. So we created a, a whole boarding pass that actually looks like an airline boarding pass. Mm-hmm. And you'd come with it to the event, you'd be stamped, and that's the only thing you needed to enter. So, mm. creating that kind of interaction where people could feel like they're part of something. Mm. And that's the kind of events that we want to do as we move along. It, was, it must have been, your, your idea, you have big ideas, you know, and they're, they're quite unusual, right? Outside of the box of what most people would think of. But in this case, you have a client coming to you. It sort of mm. matched your level of, of, of thinking. That must have been just a, a relief or a joy for you to have a client come along who just wants to empower you in that way to do the thing that you do. Actually, I cannot even call them clients. They're like just a group of artists, you know, doing the exact same thing we are doing. So it was more of a collaboration. Okay. There's no one paying you, you know, there's no one paying to, to do the work. Okay. It was like, I was born here an artist. We are artists. How can we come together? Okay. And so actually, at the end of the day, Gikosh became, they, they ended up rebranding. No, they're called Gikosh. That's their brand. The, you know, the, com- the, the furniture? The furniture company. Okay. Yeah. So now they're called Gikosh. And so yeah. Gikomba is a market in Nairobi? In Nairobi. It's a second-hand market. It's, a, it's like the biggest street market um, in, in Kenya. And, and so they have a section uh, called the Jua Kali section. And it's where they repurpose or remake um, home utensils, suitcases out of scrap metal. Okay. So that's so, just a, a section in the market for reclaimed metals that they'll repurpose into other things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like most Kenyans who went to public high school, we went with suitcases from bought from, because that's the only place you can get them, from okay. the job section of the Kumba market. Okay. So, and even if you Google the Gikomba market, you'd see, Jokali, you'd see, like, they have these mountains of tin trunks and cookware that they've built. But now we went with the idea that what if that was just a camouflage and under those piles was a workshop? Mm. How would this workshop look like? Who would be the people operating in this workshop? And that's how we created that uh, world of Gikosh. 
It's and amazing. It's amazing to be able to just have the idea. Well, you've had a nugget of an idea and just fleshed it out completely and then pull, pull it together and then shoot it so immaculately and put it all together. It's it's really, it's, it's impressive. Really, congratulations. It's so good. I can't describe this for listeners. They have to see it. It's, it's impossible to, to, to say what's happening. But yeah, I noticed that you photographed uh, the First Lady of Kenya. Um, that was actually for Forbes magazine. So I used, I used to shoot for Forbes Africa, um, I think from 2011 to 2013, I think, or 14. Yeah, still 2014. So whenever they had a story um, in Kenya, I used to be the photographer. Okay. And one of the stories was about Margaret Kanyaka and how she was, you know, preparing for the Olympics. And that's how I ended up photographing her. She was preparing for, to do the marathon. The London, yes, the London marathon. Oh, she ran right. Okay. That it was so crazy. Um, I think the people around her just made it so hard because I think we only shot her for like four minutes. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it was unbelievably crazy because <laughs> um, she was easy. She was okay. You she know, seems she, like a really nice lady. Yeah, right. but it's. You know, the people who surrounded were like time, you know, security, so everything just was chaotic. But within those four minutes, I think we, we were able to get, I was able to get, I just needed a good shot, which mm -hmm. I was able to get, and then composited her in that background. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't shoot her in that background. So mm -hmm. we shot the background on one day when the, when the weather was quite good. We had a good view of Mount Kenya at the back, then shot her on a different day uh, within the state house compound. Okay. Uh, then put them all together. Uh, yeah, she was she was totally cool. Like I was shooting her, and she was like, "What more do you need me to do?" You know, she was she was quite cool. Okay. So, yeah. That's a good yeah. one for the portfolio, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you about one more project, which is uh, Kabangu, because the pictures are so vivid, and the guys have such uh, attitude, you know, and personality. It's amazing. Tell us about where that one came from. And how you put that together? Um, Kabangu began with a conversation I had with um, the hairstylist that I normally use, we call Richard. And he wanted to do a couple of projects for himself that were just based on hair. And one of, so he wanted to do like a series of 10, and the first one that he wanted to do was based on geometrical shapes. I just had that in my mind geometrical shapes, that's it. Um, then again, as I always say, I was offline and somewhere mid-air, the idea came of why if you were to shoot people with hair that's sort of geometrical shaped, what if we used old guys and what would be the story? And so we cracked the story of Kabangu. Mm. And by the time we were landing, I had the whole project set out. Okay. <laughs> so we came back to Kenya. Uh, Scouted. We, we, for us, it was just a normal project. We didn't know it would be that big. And so we shot it, released it, as always, online. And a few days later, it was actually uh, reposted by a couple of people, artists uh, from Snoop Dogg uh, to most Dev. Uh, I think there were like five of them, to mm -hmm. as well, who reposted it on social media. And it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. That's yeah. incredible. So how was how did it feel when you saw that being starting to be shared and to really blow up like that? 
It's an amazing feeling. Like you definitely know you want to keep on creating such kind of work. Mm. Do you think, I mean, can you see going forward doors opening into that kind of American culture side of things? Um, you know, if if those guys like Snoop Dogg or if you're on their radar, do you think that can open doors in that world for you? I hope it does. I hope it does. Um, I definitely want to see the kind of projects I can do with uh, celebrities, either for promotional material, or for their concerts, or for their tours, and see how it goes. I don't know how it's going to be. Yeah, you can. If the door comes knocking, why not? It seems like everything has opened up for you well, and everything sounds like it's gone really well, but I was wondering, there must have been some struggles or hard moments along your journey. What's been maybe one of the hard moments that have you ever thought maybe this isn't for you or you've had an, any kind of knock where you, you just thought, geez, this is really, really hard? Um, that was especially in the beginning um, when when I started out, when I felt like I was trying to get into a path that no one had followed before. Mm. Like, couldn't knock on someone else's, like, especially a Kenyan, and just approach them and ask them, you follow this path, what do I do? I felt like I was all alone crafting a path on my own, and especially with the kind of work that I wanted to do, which was international kind of work. And I remember things were thick. I remember I was engaged at that time, to a different lady that is, and she told me, she's like, you know what, I don't think this thing can work. So we had to separate, we had to go on with, like everyone sort of thought that I was crazy. Um, how can you leave architecture, which is such a prestigious career, to follow photography? What is photography? You know? And I stuck to it. I kept at it until the door started knocking. Um, nowadays, I'm in that space where actually parents approach me and like, my son or my daughter sees them to do photography. Can you please advise me on what to do? Mm-hmm. Which I go to. So it becomes sort of like a reference point, um, which is quite cool <laughs> nowadays. And initially it was hard, but I think at this point, I've, from the from the journey that I've had, you know, I I think whatever happens right now, I'd, 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 if if I was to leave the art right now, I'd I'd go smiling because I think I've lived my my entire life. I've fulfilled my purpose. I've, I've I've done it well and I've done it right. I've given back uh, where possible, which is mostly through workshops, uh, which we do when I'm free. And even for the workshops, we do not charge uh, the people attending. At least even for the fee that they pay, normally for the expenses, like if it's hiring a studio or getting models on board. You know, um, I try to train as many people as I can. You know. Um, and I enjoy life. Uh, I take it easy. Uh, the good thing I'm so lucky to be in, in, in a space where if I need to take a month off, I can be able to take a month off without pressure. Mm. And I've got to the point where clients understand. If I tell them I'll be away for the next two months, they're like, okay, you, you know, when you're back, let us know. So mm. that can you. So being in that space. It's an incredible journey to go from that hard start. Like you said, everybody's, nobody's understanding you. You must have felt alone. Um, yeah. I, I remember when we were starting out, we'd, we'd go for shoots, and we, uh, we were so broke. Because <laughs> I, I used to be in campus um, far from the city, 
And in order for me to get to town for an assignment, I need to leave uh, school by like 5 a.m. to be in town by 9 because of traffic, morning traffic, that whole distance. I remember used to go for shoots when we were so broke, like we had 200 shillings in our, in our wallets. Mm. And that would be for food and for transport back to school. And I remember there's a time we sat down with my assistant, he's called Victor. He's been my assistant from the, from the very start. And we will see a plane passing and I tell Victor, you know what, that is going to be us one day. Mm. And I remember when we boarded our first plane for an assignment, I told him, Victor, um, it's happening. Mm. And we've been many trips ever since that, just flying around. So it's, it's nice to have that dream and stick to it, you know, know where you want to go. And you know, no matter what, just stick to it, keep mm. working on craft. But the, yeah. the conviction to just keep driving on was just when you felt that you'd found that photography was the thing for you. And that... a, yeah. And small, small cues that will make me, you know, continue going on. Um, like being, you know, working for, I think the one of the first big publications I worked for was for Forbes Africa, getting to shoot for Forbes. So that gives you motivation to keep mm. on going. Then you get like the guinea stuff, you know, gives you another motivation to keep going. Another door opens that keeps, keeps you going, yeah? mm. especially when you feel like um, this is too much. And mm. you to keep well, I'm glad you kept going. Um, you must be glad as well. It's it's hard sometimes to keep going though. I've, I've been there. Um, so on that note, keeping going, well, we'll just kind of bring this uh, almost to a close. Where do you see yourself in, say, five years? Do you have like a, a vision for going forward or is it hard to say? Uh, it's so hard to say. Like I never imagined myself being here three years ago or four years ago. I never thought I'd be here doing the kind of work I'm doing. I never thought I'd do that. Um, even this year, like the doors that have opened, being the first Kenyan ever to be selected to be jury at Cannes, the festival, that was, that was huge. Um, never saw it coming. <laughs> mm. So honestly, I have no idea how the next five years are going to be. Uh, mm. I'm just with the flow. Uh, but what I'd want more is to connect with brands in the continent, um, whereby a brand approaches you and tells you this is the idea and you execute it and you bring in your whole vision to life using a brand i mm. think that's what we really want to, to do i was just to circle back one thing i had a thought earlier that i didn't pick up on because you've got the architectural background it's all about planning and having seeing the end from the beginning right and ideas mm. and i think you seem to go about your work photography work in the same kind of way would you say there's transferable things that you learn from architecture that you apply in your work Definitely. Uh, one was the ethics, the work ethic, as you said, uh, seeing a project from start to finish, planning, conceptualizing, not taking things for chances. Um, I think for me, uh, pre-production takes like 60% of the entire process, and photography is like 20%, and post-production is like another 20%, mm. but majority of the work goes into the pre-production, just making sure every detail is you know, is, 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 is talked about, is, is looked into. Mm. So definitely, I think I got that. And even working the crazy long hours, which we did in architecture school, I think just transferring that into now what I do. That was, I think, I, I studied architecture for eight years. A six-year course took me eight years because I had to stay out with it. But I think going through those eight years were not a waste of time. Mm. I believe it taught me to be who I am today. Mm.
Uh, do you think people misunderstand what creativity is? Because I think sometimes people just think you would just you come up with something in a moment with the camera in your hand. But for this kind of work with compositing, I've done some myself. You're really doing all the all the idea work at the front end before the camera is picked up, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, and that's the thing we've been fighting. Where there's this tendency, uh, especially for advertising work that's been done in Kenya, where clients brief you today, expect you to be shooting tomorrow. Yeah. And and I think that's one thing that I've stayed away from. Like if you're that kind of client, definitely won't work with you because it's also your brand and your reputation at the end of the day that's been compromised. And even for brands who are pushing us to collaborate, we're like, you know what? We we are grateful that you've approached us, but these are where we work and these are where we do things. If you want a certain kind of quality, you have to respect the process, and that's become our motto: that you have to respect the process. Mm. And, and I think the serious brands that want to be in, to be you know to be associated with you and want to do good work will respect the process. And the ones and it's a, it's like a it's like a, a saving mechanism. You'll know the serious ones from you know the fake ones. Mm. What's the one thing you've learned on your photography journey? If there's one thing that you say right, this I know now because of my photography journey. Uh, well, what I just said, respect the process. That has been my slogan. <laughs> And I think it will be for quite a while. You just have to respect the process. Good. Um, can you name for me an, another photographer you're excited about just now? Marcus Ericsson. His work right now is is, is amazing. I, I I look for at his work quite often um, for inspiration, and I think I really like what he's doing. Mm. Osborne, uh, I'll leave it there. We're almost an hour, so thank you so much. Thank you. Asante Sana. Thanks for listening. And again, sorry for the audio quality there, but I hope you enjoyed that insight into the work of such a unique and creative photographer. Follow Osborne on Instagram and check out his website to see some of the projects we spoke about today. The links are in the show notes. I'd love to connect with you, and you can find me on social media and at the Viewfinders webpage where you can get my free ebook. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That's the best way you can help the show reach more people. And if you're a new listener, why not check out some more episodes? That's it for now. Enjoy your photography. Be kind. I'll see you out there.